My friends, this is John Evans, and welcome to one of our inaugural podcasts of this audio platform of Book and Spade on the Anchor platform. I want to wish you all a very blessed greeting. I know that I will have to keep my remarks here short. I record near the close of November the 30th, 2020, Anno Domini, and at the beginning of December the 1st. I also know that many of you are also busy in light of the hectic season of this Advent, preparing for Christmas. COVID or no COVID, we have been certainly burdened with many labors the last year, and we know that our loved ones are all asking fundamental questions in light of political turmoil, social turmoil, and upheaval among those who are in great need for healing and for rest. In light of uh, the current pandemic, we also too are in desperate need for a kind of clear-headedness about what matters most. Even if we are to speak freely about matters political or matters spiritual, it is fundamental that we see one another as individuals made in the image and likeness of love, and that we approach all subject matters with a desire for veritas or objective truth. In John chapter 19, the creator of the universe is brought before the representation of the Roman Empire. Jesus of Nazareth appears to the eyes of Pontius Pilate at this, at this point as not only just one prisoner among many, as another troublemaker, as a disturber of the peace, as someone who is threatening the stability of the empire. This Yeshua is proclaiming himself to be a king, and the question inevitably comes from the lips of Pilate, so you say that you are a king then. But as Christ clearly explains, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born into the world. For all who hear my voice, hear the truth. To which Pilate asks, Quid est veritas? What is truth? This is the question of the era in which we find ourselves. Whether you are on the political right or left, whether you share a specific denominational background or not, whether you find yourself trying to transcend the woundedness in your own life, there is no greater question than this. What is truth? The ancient Greeks believed that the truth was found in the arche or origin of things, the logoi, the reason endowed to man. And so they dedicated much thought to the love of reason, the love of truth, the discipline of philosophy. Socrates died as a martyr for philosophy. So did the minds of many beautiful men and women who strought to discover with the best of their ability 
for the mechanics behind the seen and unseen worlds. The truth, therefore, was knowable, and yet it was also transcended. It remained in it, not a thou. On the other hand, for the ancient minds of the authors of the Hebrew Bible, the truth was not a series of intellectual propositions, nor was it necessarily merely laws written in stone. These laws, which were handed down at the foot of Sinai, were not abstract ideas, but these were promises made in stone. Promises given by a covenant-keeping creator. To the ancient Hebrew, the truth was not in it. The truth was a thou. And because of that personal relationship with the truth, it was necessary that there should be uniqueness. And there was prophecies given to men and women who believed sincerely. And I and all those who hold to the Christian faith sincerely believe that they indeed received revelation which is beyond the capacity for mortal reason, that the truth himself would tabernacle among his people and walk among them. John, in the opening chapter of his gospel, puts it best. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Fourteen verses later. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. How did this occur? The marriage between faith, divine revelation, and reason the witness of that law written on our hearts. The union between the strivings of the philosophers, the striving of those men and women who sought earnestly for the face of the truth, and the unveiling, the apocalypsis of that faith. How did the truth enter into the world? Did the truth enter into the world with a thunderclap? Did the truth enter the world, appearing dressed in gold and silver? Did the truth ride on a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, as he did some thousand years before? No. The truth, when he arrived, arrived cradled, in swaddling clothes in the arm of a threadbare 13-year-old girl 
in a feeding trough for animals, in a stable, because there was no room for the truth in the inn. The truth did not arrive, heralded by the cries and shouts of the endless mob preening and prancing. His company was the bleeding sheep. His company was the donkey. His company comprised the unseen angel. Three travelers, foreigners from a distant land who did not truly have mastery of all the customs of this newfound land in which they found themselves. And shepherds who were considered the lowest of the low, the most despised. The truth became a man. God took on a body. The Word became flesh. And he did so in such a way that we can say that he knows what it is to be marginalized. God knows what it is to be hated and to be loved, to be mocked and to be revered, to be spat upon and to be forgotten, to be hailed one day with palm branches, nailed hand and foot some days after. God knows what it is to suffer and God not only knows what it is to bleed, he bled for me and he bled for you. Because God, as revealed in the pages of the New and Old Testaments, the truth for which Socrates, Aristotle, and Plato strove with the best of intentions, that God is not just. The one for whom and through whom all things consist, he is also love. And love can only be measured by sacrifice. Sacrifice is a dirty word to the minds of most 21st century Americans and those in the world generally. We are told about my rights, my duties, my obligations, my needs. And there is nothing wrong with asserting the dignity of the self as we are children made in the image of love. However, he who entered into the world, when the truth became a man and shed blood upon the tree, he had every right and ability to say, enough. He had every right and ability to raise his pinky and watch all those who mocked him melt away into subatomic particles. He could have called twelve legions of angels, as he says in the Gospel of Luke in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have struck Judas dead before he so much as left the upper room. But instead, Jesus, the Messiah, 
the eternal and immutable creator, humbled himself. In the words of Philippians chapter 2, was obedient to death. So that we might know and have life. And life more abundantly. But what is life? Most people, when they hear a funeral homily, they often are told that grandfather is playing endless games of golf up there in the heavens. They are also often told that their loved ones are enjoying ice cream for all of eternity, or endless forms of sensual pleasure, as you see in the pages of the Quran, or endless forms of rebirth and recycling, as you would see in the, the Vedic tradition, as in the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna tells Arjanu that all who are before him were once upon a time someone else. However, this is not the conception of eternity found in the pages of Scripture or in the minds of the saints. No. Heaven is not a projection of our earthly longings on God, but the fulfillment of God's deepest longing and love through us. What we see in heaven is the presence of the true good, the true beautiful, and true happiness. It is the interdimensional reunion that we see in the pages of Revelation chapters 21 and 22. All nations are gathered in one family, all tribes, all tongues. There is the experience that is beyond time. It is not merely an activity we love here on earth, minute by minute, moment by moment. Instead, it is an eternal, outside of time, union with love, looking on love, the Trinity, face to face, the beatific vision. And that is not merely navel-gazing or looking into a mirror for all of eternity. Instead, it is the indescribable understanding of looking and living and breathing and being in the presence of utter joy and fulfillment with all those who we love, walking in the light of love, being one heart with God. Perfect love, says John, casteth out all fear. This kind of love, this agape, from which we have real eros and real philia, this genuine love, which is patient, which is kind, which endures all things and bears all things, it's something which has eluded the minds of even the brightest and is often revealed through the poorest of the poor. I often believe that Mother Teresa of Calcutta has a greater understanding in her portraits with all those wrinkles 
of what real beauty is. And some of the portraits of the most flashiest supermodels and uh, picturesque people we see in our magazines or smartphones. The reason why is because what you see in Mother Teresa of Calcutta's wonderful wrinkles is the recognition that real beauty and real suffering is found in service. When I see all that has been vexing mankind, I'm often reminded of the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel narrative in Genesis 11, man tries to find real happiness by trying to wage war against God in heaven, to build a ladder up into eternity, to build the unsinkable ship, to find the ritual that will bring happiness, to produce the effects needed by our will, our might, our power, my ego. But that's the exact opposite of Jacob's ladder you see later on in Genesis. It is the exact opposite of what we saw with angels ascending and descending upon that ladder of grace that is God becoming man in John 1, in Colossians 1, in Philippians 2. Instead, the narrative is the humility of emptying oneself of the excess that binds us, that tethers us to ourselves, so that we can fulfill our healthy desires to love and be loved, and to be freed by God from the reason for the excess and the woundedness we find in ourselves and all of creation that we call original sin. But original sin cannot be understood without delving into the realm of Genesis further. And that is the work of another podcast and another day. I hope on this feast day of St. Andrew and the beginning of Advent season that you are well. I hope even if you are agnostic or uh, those of a different denominational background than I that you find this work fascinating and compelling. I look forward to hearing your comments and I would love to receive your support and to hear from you soon. May God bless all of you and your families. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.